You're listening to a message from Stonegate Church in Midlothian, Texas. For more information about Stonegate and additional audio resources, visit Stonegate-Church.com. How are we, Stonegate? Good deal. Uh, Last week, we started that set of sermons called All In, and it's really an introduction to a two-year season for our church family where we are just begging the Lord to show this church family, me, you, what it means to walk by faith, what it means to venture everything on God. So that's what we're doing. That's what this thing is about. And that's what we're praying and asking the Lord for. Um, To help along the way in this, we have a couple of resources that we've made. This is um, the big one, though. Uh, and if you, haven't, if you didn't get one last week, um, we want to give you one this week. And so if you don't have one right now, will you please raise your hand if you haven't gotten one of these yet? And uh, some of our guys will bring one to you. Just keep your hand up where you are. They will uh, start passing those out, and, and they'll get those there. So if you um, were not here last week, uh, please go to our website, the All In website. It's on the back of this booklet, back page, right down here at the bottom. It's stonegate-church.com uh, forward slash all dash in. Um, if you go there, scroll down, you can see the vision video, which really summarizes what, you know, what it is that we're doing over the next two years. So it will give you all the details. But this book will also walk you through many of the details. So if you um, look at page 8 and beyond, um, really 8 and 9, it will begin to show you what it is that we're doing over this uh, two-year you know, period. And uh, on page number 11, it shows what our primary goal is. Our primary goal is 100% participation. That's what we're asking the Lord for, that 100% of our church family would begin this journey of learning along you know, with the Lord what it means to walk by faith. That's, that's the big picture thing that we're going for, is that every one of us would take that journey to the Lord. And here's the great news. That is happening in so many good little pockets in our church family right now. The Lord is doing these things and cultivating this sort of a life in this church family through this season. Um, On our website, the All In website, uh, there is a place where you can click on Get Involved, and then it's got a place for you to share your story. And I want to encourage you to do that. If the Lord's at work in you, for you to go to the website, share your story, that way we can be encouraged and share with other people what it is the Lord's doing um, in and with you. But here has been one of those stories that the Lord has been just up to in the middle of our church family. Let me read it to you. Uh, We got this last week. It said this, I wanted to share with you what God's been doing in our hearts. As we began our all-in journey, my husband was struggling with finding his security in money instead of the Lord, while I was more eager to give. Overall, we, we really just weren't sure what the Lord was doing in us, and we knew that we wanted him to work in our hearts and not miss out on this opportunity in this two-year season to grow in our faith. After the vision preview night a few weeks ago, we had a long discussion and prayer time. My husband shared with me the open-handedness he felt before the Lord with our finances and how the Lord led him to a deeper understanding about living his life all in for Jesus. As I shared with him, I let him know that my biggest fear was not the money, but suffering and laying down earthly desires. That week, I felt the Lord was asking me, will you follow me no matter what? For the first time in my Christian walk, I knew that following the Lord would cost me my life, whether that was laying down my desires or my physical life, and I was scared. But I knew that I had no other choice but to follow the Lord. And then she quoted Matthew 16, verse 25. For whoever will save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. As we continued to share with each other that night, I was so so encouraged by my husband's walk and what the Lord had done in both of our hearts. We both feel we've finally been taken deeper into the all-in season. 
And we're excited about what's to come for our church and our family. And we want to let you know that we are all in, not only financially, but with our whole lives. That's just one little story of many stories about what the Lord's doing right now in our church. And that's what we're praying for, that 100% of us would go on that journey with the Lord and the Lord would be teaching us those sorts of things. On page 11, you can also see our secondary goal. So primary goal is 100% participation. Secondary goal is $6 million to do three primary things. One is cultivate ministry, which is our ongoing work of disciple making. Secondly is to plant the gospel, which is our church planting endeavors and our orphan care endeavors. And thirdly, to put down roots. If you've been here for any time, you know that we have spent the last six um, almost six and a half years right here in the conference center. Our last contract expires in September of 2018, which means if we do nothing, we are homeless by the time we get to September 2018. And so um, to make sure that doesn't happen, we are in a kind of a, a, a season right now of making sure that we are prepping the way and, and preparing this church family for that transition and move. So this season is also about that about $6 million to do those three things, cultivate ministry, plant the gospel, and to put down roots. And lastly, and we'll jump into our text this morning, in your booklet, uh, if you received it last week, it was there, or if you received it this uh, morning, it's there. You should have a little commitment card that looks like this. And uh, on March the 6th, we're gonna be asking all of our people to, to land on one number that represents sacrificial and glad-hearted generosity over the next two years. One number that represents sacrificial, glad-hearted generosity. So we wanted to get this commitment card to you early so you could begin to pray. You could begin to open yourself up to the Lord. You could begin to ask the Lord to give you clarity that you're going to need to plan your generosity over the next two years. To, to, to put a number down that would require, man, God, I want to walk in faith in ways that I have not walked in faith before. So we're getting that to you early so you can begin to prep your heart for that and to ready your heart for March the 6th when we all as a church family, it's gonna be a really great day for us. We all do that together with the Lord. Okay, with that said, we are in Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25. It would help to have that out and open on your lap there. Matthew chapter 25. Last week, we talked about what it means to push our lives all in with Jesus. This week, we're going to talk about what it means to push our lives all in as stewards of Jesus. And by the way, in your book, you can go to page 43 in the little booklet we just gave you. That would be sermon notes for today's sermon. So page 43 um, would give you some space to take down notes today. So Matthew chapter 25. Um, just to give you some context of the chapter, it starts in verse 1 by saying this. The kingdom of God will be like... So Jesus is educating us in Matthew 25 about the kingdom of God. What will it be like? What, what, what is the reign and rule of Jesus going to be like in this world? So that, that's the context. What is the kingdom of God going to be like? Then he tells two parables to describe what the kingdom of God will be like. Parable number one just starts immediately there, there following verse one. And it's the story of 10 ladies five of which were ready for the return of Jesus, five of which were not ready for the return of Jesus. So Jesus has left, that they're waiting for the bride. It's this picture of us, the church, waiting for Jesus, our groom to come back and get us. And five of them just weren't ready. It says Jesus was delayed, that the groom was delayed. And when the groom came, they weren't ready for him. And that first parable is essentially Jesus looking at the church and saying, I'm delayed. Like I haven't come back yet, but the day of your death or my return is imminent. It is coming, so don't let that sneak up on you. Be ready during the delay. Church, be ready. Don't, don't be caught, uh, you know, in an unexpected sort of, in a sleep sort of frame of mind. Be ready. Be awake for the return of Jesus. That's parable number one. 
Then you get to parable number two, which starts in verse 15 or 14. It's the parable of the talents. So if parable number one, the point is be ready during the delay. Parable number two, here's the point. If you want to be ready, here's what it looks like to be ready. If you want to be awake, this is what it means to be awake. The point of the parable is essentially Jesus looking at us and saying, if you want to be ready for my return, this is what has to happen in your life. Your life has to be characterized by a commitment to and care of my causes and my concerns in the world. If you want to be ready for my return, you have to be living now as a faithful steward. You have to be living your life now concerned about my plans and my purposes in this world. You have to be living like that now if you want to be ready for my return. So if you're sitting here today and your heart is hungry for, man, I I don't want to be found asleep. I want to be found ready. This particular parable, starting in verse 14 of Matthew 25, answers the question, well, how do you do that? So let's start reading in verse 14. In verse 14, it starts like this, for it, it is the kingdom of God. For the kingdom of God will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one, he gave five talents, to another, two talents, to another, one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also the one who had two talents made two talents more. Verse 18, that but is a contrast there. In contrast to those two, verse 18, but he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, let us just identify the three major kind of characters in this parable. Here's character number one, the main thing we need to identify. Number one is there is an owner in this parable. So this story about the kingdom of God is highlighting there is an owner. There is a master. In, in, in a sense, Jesus is the master in the parable. Jesus is talking about himself. He is the, the groom that is about to go away. He's the master who is about to leave. Now, this parable is hammering home a big biblical truth. And here's the big biblical truth. God is the owner or he is the master of all things. God owns it all. That's the, the, one of the big points of this parable that's trying to help us see that God is the owner of everything. He is the owner of everything we see in this parable and everything we see on this planet. God, God is the owner of that. And let me just build the biblical case just really briefly for you. Genesis 1.1 is probably the best place to see this. The Bible starts by saying, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now think about any person who creates something, by nature of them creating it, also own it. That's how creation works. So when God creates everything that we see, by by just the essence of him creating it, he also owns everything that we see. So God is the owner of all things. The Bible goes on to affirm this. Um, Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 14. It'll be on the screen for you. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. Job 41, 11. Who has first given to me that I should repay him? Answers no one. Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine, declares the Lord. Psalm 24, 1. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. Psalm 50, verse 10. For every beast of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. I love what one old theologian said. He said, in the total expanse of human life, there is not a single square inch of which the Christ, who alone is sovereign, does not declare that is mine. 
There is not one square inch of this universe that God looks at and does not declare, that right there, I own that. It is mine. I'm the owner of this. And to go on and press this one step further, Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. He says, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. If you are a Christian, you have been doubly bought by the Lord. You've been bought both in creation and redemption. You are doubly his. But the point is this. There is not one page, one passage, one place you're going to turn in the Bible where the Lord looks at you and says, hey, you know what? On this particular thing, you're the owner of that, not me. God does not look at anything in our life that way. In every page, piece, you know, passage in the Bible, in every moment, God is saying this, I am the owner of everything. Everything in your life, everything that you see, I am the owner of it all. God is the owner. Here's the second thing we see in this parable, that there are stewards. There are stewards. So as the story goes, that the master, who is pictured as Jesus, the master, he leaves on a long journey But before he does that, he calls his servants together and he entrusts his property to his servants. Now that is walking us into the biblical idea of stewardship. Jesus is showing us something about stewardship here. He's taking what he owns and he is entrusting it to his servants. Now that is the picture of all of us. If you're a human being, this is what the Lord has done to you. He has gone on a journey. He's gonna come back someday, but on the journey, while he's gone, he has looked at you and he is entrusting various things to you. Now, let me just define stewardship for us. Jesus is teaching us about the kingdom of God. Stewardship is right at the center of the kingdom of God. This is part of what it means for the reign and rule of Jesus to be present. A steward, this will be on the screen. Here's a definition of a steward. A steward is someone entrusted with another's wealth or property and charged with the responsibility of managing it in the owner's best interest. That's a steward. A steward is someone entrusted with another's wealth or property. So you have an owner. The owner says, I'm going to put on loan and entrust to you some of my possessions. And while doing that, he is looking at the steward and saying, I am charging you with this responsibility. I want you to take what I am loaning to you, and I want you to use that for my purposes and my plans. That is a steward. So a steward is recognizing I own nothing. There is nothing that I have in my possession that I can look at and say they're mine. None of those things are mine. They are all the masters. They are all the owners. But the owner is is entrusting these things to me, a house to me, a car to me, a job to me, a paycheck to me, kids and family to me. He's entrusting all of these things to me. He's the owner. I own none of them, but he's entrusting these things to me. And he is now looking at me and saying, I want you to do something with them, namely invest those into my plans, my causes, my concerns in this world. That's what it means to be a steward. Now, let me just make the biblical case for this. Genesis 1 and 2, I think, is the best place to see this. Again, in Genesis 1, 1, you have the Lord saying, I've created the heavens and the earth. Everything that you see, I've created. Then you go down to to Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, and it says that God created man and and woman. So he creates man and woman in his image. Then you get to Genesis chapter 2, and here is stewardship on display. The, The kind of the fundamental nature of stewardship that's embedded into the kingdom of God. In Genesis 2, 15, the Lord says, or the Bible says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden. So he's entrusting the man with the Garden of Eden. And then it says this, to do something in the Garden of Eden, to work it and to keep it, 
to work it and to keep it. So the Lord puts the man in the garden. He's entrusting what is his. The garden is God's. It's not the man's. He's entrusting the, the man with the garden and he's looking at him and he's giving him directions. I want you to do something with this. And that idea of to work it and to keep it is not just that the man would protect it. That's one part of stewarding something, but it's not the whole picture. Yes, you should protect it. Yes, you should take it really seriously. But the Lord is not looking at him and saying, the sole goal of stewardship is for you to protect what I've given you. That's not it. He's saying, yes, protect it, but even more than protect it, I'm entrusting this thing to you, the garden, and I want you to make something of it. I want you to do something with it. I want you to take what I have given you and cultivate things, develop things with it, make things of it, produce fruit out of it. I want you to take what I've given you and do something. That is stewardship. This is what the Lord is looking at us and saying, that I want you to be a steward. Now hear me. Being a steward is not like some subcategory of your life. It's not like, let me just file that and one of the components that kind of make up my life. That is not the way to look at stewardship. Stewardship is not a subcategory of your life. It is your life. The Lord is not just saying stewardship is something you do as a Christian. He is saying, no, this is what you are as a Christian. All of your life is seen through the lens of stewardship. You are a steward. I have entrusted things to you and I'm looking at you and saying, I want you to use what I've entrusted to you for my purposes. We, we are stewards. And I'm just praying that, that this morning, the Lord would help us live in that identity, see that identity and begin to live in that identity. So number one, we've got an owner. Number two, there are stewards. And number three, there are talents. There are talents. This is what the Lord entrusts to the stewards. So this is a part of the Lord's property, part of his wealth that he is saying, I'm leaving, but I'm going to entrust these things to you, these talents to you. So the question becomes, what is a talent? Now, in this um, particular passage, all we know about a talent is it's a large sum of money. A talent ultimately is a weight of measurement. So we don't know if they're measuring gold, if they're measuring silver, if they're measuring whatever else. We just know that it's a lot of money in this passage. So when we're thinking about what is a talent in this passage, what is the Lord entrusted to us? Obviously, one part of that would be money and possessions, but it would be much bigger than that, right? It, it's going to be everything. Talents represent Everything that is precious to the Lord that he has entrusted to you and I, that's a talent. So let me just put it in three big categories for you. When you're thinking about what is the Lord entrusted to me in particular, here's three big categories to think about. One would be time. Time is a precious commodity, isn't it? The older you get, the more you realize that. It's going way too fast. And the Lord has looked at us and he is saying, I am entrusting to you this precious commodity called time. Don't squander that. Man, see that as precious and, and, and leverage that. Use your time. You, your life is a vapor. Use your vapor wisely. And part of what it means to steward time or to be entrusted with time is the Lord would be saying, I'm entrusting you with opportunities that fill up that time. Opportunities to get to know a neighbor and to talk about Jesus to a neighbor. Opportunities to talk about Jesus to a coworker. I mean, all these op opportunities to serve the body of Jesus. Opportunities to give your life away in sacrificial acts of service. All of those would be in, involved under the, the category of time. The Lord looking at you and saying, I'm entrusting something so precious to you called time. Another category would be your talents. Like not talent as in this parable talents, but talent as in like the unique wirings that the Lord has given you. How the Lord has created you. The spiritual giftings the Lord has given you. Your unique abilities that you have that other people don't have. Maybe you're in here and you've got like a unique ability to do the business world. 
Like you have a unique gift from the Lord to make money. That's, that's a gift from the Lord. That's something the Lord's entrusted to you. Maybe you're a charismatic person that people tend to follow. So you've got like this gift of leadership. Maybe you've got the gift of service or of hospitality. But whatever your gifts are, however God has uniquely wired you, he is saying to us, I've entrusted those things to you. Those are precious to me and I am entrusting those to you to, to do well with those, to produce fruit with those, to cultivate things with those. So we have the category of time, we have the category of talent, and then the category of treasure, which obviously deals with money and possessions, which is right at the heart of this particular passage. The Lord is looking at us and saying, the wealth that you have, and listen, we live in the richest country in the world, and we're in like the good category, the richest country of the world in this room, by and large. And it's like the Lord is looking at us and saying, I've entrusted that to you. It's not like by accident, you just didn't stumble into that. I have entrusted everything that you have. So there's talent in this passage. Talents are, are essentially the Lord saying, everything that is precious to me that I have entrusted to you. It's the entirety of your life. Every category of your life, everything in your life has been entrusted by God to you. You don't own it. The Lord owns it. And he is entrusting those talents to you. Now in the parable, look at verses 16 through 18. Verses 16 through 18 show us what the first two stewards did with what the Lord entrusted to them. So if you, you know, read through those, that little couple of verses there, um, the one with five talents immediately invested that five talents in things that would produce more talents. The guy with two talents, he, he invested what he had, what he had been given and entrusted by the Lord. He invested that and it immediately sprang up two more talents. Then you get to verse 18 and there's the big but again. It's the big contrast. But you have this last person, this one talent person, who rather than investing that talent and producing and cultivating with that talent, he dug a hole in the ground and he buried that talent. Then you get to verse 19. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. Let that sober you. After a long journey, the Lord came back and it's time to settle accounts and to see what happened with what he's entrusted. Now, hear me when I say this. That day is coming for everyone in the room. There's going to be a day where the Lord settles accounts with what he has entrusted. Here's the fourth thing we see in this parable. One day, all stewards will answer to the master. One day, all stewards will answer to the master. There will be a day where you are under the direct gaze of God and he looks at you and he asks this question. I entrusted all these things to you. What'd you do with it? Trusted this time to you, these talents to you, these treasures to you. What, what, man, let's talk. What did you do with those things? Man, I entrusted great things to you. Not just like a few things, but incredible things to you. So, so tell me, what'd you do with these things? That day is coming for us all. And the goal of a steward is on that day to be found faithful, to have taken everything the Lord's entrusted to us and to leverage those things for his causes, his concerns, and to be found faithful by Jesus in that day. That's the goal of a steward. Now, if that's your goal in the room, if you wanna be found faithful on that day, and I hope you do, there's a lot at stake in that, but if you wanna be found faithful, the Lord is about to show us what we need to be thinking in order to be found faithful, how we need to be living in order to be found faithful. Look at what he says in verse 20. We need to read these very carefully if we want to be faithful stewards. This is our one talent man. This is what he does that the Lord finds so offensive. 
And it's a picture of what our five-talent and two-talent person do. So, so let's read it, verse 20. And he, had rece- he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. Verse 21, his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Verse 22, and he who had two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him the same thing, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Here is option one of what we can do with what the Lord entrusts to us. There's an owner, there's stewards, and there are talents. Here is option one that we can do. Here is what we want to do if we want to be found faithful when we are under the gaze of God and he asks the questions to us. Here is option number one. You can steward what God's entrusted to you. You can, just like we see in the parable, you can take the five talents that he gives you or the two talents that he's given you, or the one talent that he's given you. Whatever he's entrusted to you, you can take what he's given you and you can leverage those just like these men did. Leverage those into God's kingdom purposes, produce and cultivate a harvest out of that. And then the Lord says in verse 23, here's what what I'll say to you. Well done, good and faithful servant. And you have taken what I've given you and you have leveraged that. You have cultivated that. You have developed that. You produce fruit from that. You have been faithful over a little. And now I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. That is stewarding what the Lord has given us. That's taking what he has given us and leveraging it for his causes and his concerns, cultivating things out of it. Now, let me be clear here. This passage is not teaching salvation by stewardship. That's not what it's teaching. So let me be clear. Salvation is always by grace alone. But here's the clarifying point. This is the point this particular passage is trying to make. Salvation always shows itself in stewardship. Salvation is never earned by your stewardship. But when we are saved, our salvation always shows itself in stewardship of us taking what the Lord's entrusted to us, what he has loaned to us and investing those things in his kingdom purposes. So this is option number one. This is one thing we can do with what God entrusts to us. We can be a steward of those things. Now here is option number two. And by the way, the Lord is commending that. He's saying, please do that. I'm urging you in this passage, in this parable to be that, to do that, to live in that identity of a steward. But here's option number two. Option number one is we can steward what the Lord's entrusted to us. Option number two is you can bury what the Lord's entrusted to you. You can bury it. Look at verse 24 and beyond. This is our one talent man. He also who had received the one talent came forward. So the, the moment of settling accounts has happened. He is under the direct gaze of God and the Lord's looking at him saying, I've entrusted great things to you. Now what'd you do with it? Man, talk to me. What, what happened with it? And here's what he says. Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, in verse 25, and I went and hid the talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I've scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. Now, I want you to notice in this parable, 
This is, this is crucial for you understanding what's happening in this parable. Notice that this guy was not a felon. This guy didn't murder anyone. He didn't walk into a convenience store and rob a convenience store. He wasn't an absolute jerk to his wife. He didn't do any of those things. So it's important that you see what is it that is so offensive to Jesus in this passage. And here is what's so offensive to Jesus. Sin in this passage is neglecting to leverage the time, talents, and treasure that God's given you for God's agenda. That is sin in this passage. That is what is so deeply offensive in this passage. Jesus is looking at a man who by all other accounts is okay, but he's looking at this man and he's saying, here's the problem that I have. I entrusted you with so much and you squandered it all. You buried it all. You took none of what I entrusted to you. You didn't take any of those things and leverage those for my causes and my concerns in the world. That's the sin in the passage. Now, let me just answer three quick questions and we'll be done here. Three quick questions about burying treasure. Here's the first one. Why did he bury it? Why did he bury the talent? Why, why did he do that? Verse 25 gives you the answer. So I was afraid, he said. This man obviously had a bad view of God. There is a fear of God that is healthy and is good. It's a fear that motivates and moves a child of God. There is also a fear of God that is bad, that paralyzes a child of God. This guy is obviously on the bad kind of end of that stick. So, so he had an improper fear of God. But let me just try to apply this fear in a little different way in this room. I think for most of us in the room, our problem is not, when we think of stewardship, that we're afraid of what God will do to us, that we're afraid of God like this man was. I think for most of us in the room, we're afraid of what God won't do for us. Let me try to explain that. Everyone in this room has a deep desire for satisfaction. You wanna look at your life and you wanna be happy. You want your life to be good. You, you're, you want a heart that is full to the brim. And the Bible is so clear that there's only one person in the universe, one place you can go to have your heart satisfied. And that's Jesus, amen? This is Psalm 34. We just talked about this and we're just saying that, that Psalm a minute ago. It's taste and see that the Lord is good. It's John 6, 35. I am the bread of life. If you, if you want that hunger quenched, come to me. If you want that thirst quenched, believe in me. It's Jesus saying, I am the only one that has the capacity to fill that, that desire, for, that, you know, that desire for, for satisfaction in you. But here's what happens to us all. The moment we believe that God might not come through on that promise, you know what we all do? Maybe I can buy that satisfaction here. Man, a new house would sure make me feel good right now. A, a new iPhone would make me feel so good right now. A new hot dog would make me feel so good right now. I just want to eat it right. I mean, it's this sort of a thing. It's, it's we're going to buy our way into that happiness. We're going to buy our way into the promise that only Jesus can fulfill. We could do the same thing with security. God has put in us a deep need for security. Every one of us. We all want to look at our life and think we're going to be okay. It's going to be okay. We all want to be able to say that. But what, and, and by the way, the Bible is so clear on this that there is only one way you can ever have a firm foundation for your life. And that firm foundation is Jesus. He is the only one that can provide that. He's the only one that can give you the assurance of you're gonna be okay. But here's what happens. As soon as we begin to doubt that Jesus can really be okay for us, that he can really be a firm foundation for us, you know what we start to do? Well, if I can just have this big of a bank account, then surely I'll really be okay. If I can just have this in retirement, then if Jesus fails then I'll, I'll still be okay. Do you see that? As soon as we start to, to doubt that, that God is gonna be that source of kind of 
you know, security force and safety force, we began to manufacture a million sort of ways that we're going to produce our own safety that, by the way, don't have the capacity to give it to us. They just don't. But as soon as we begin to doubt God will make us okay, we'll begin to buy our way into being okay. We'll begin to try to save our way into being okay. Or we could take it in the satisfaction or the significance kind of side of things. Every person in the room has a deep desire for approval, to hear the voice of God over our life saying, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have that desire. I have that desire. God made us, hardwired us to want that sort of approval and significance in our life. And the Bible is clear. The only way you're ever going to get that is to hear that from God. We're all living to hear that from God. Every one of us. In a million ways we don't even know. We're living for that. But here's what happens. When we begin to doubt that God is really going to give me that sort of significance that I want, we begin to use money and possessions and the things that God has stewarded us with, entrusted to us, we begin to use those things to try to purchase that, that sort of satisfaction and approval that we crave. Do you see how that works? See, for every one of us in the room, and this is me included, money and possessions is tied tightly and I'm talking down deep in us to that desire for significance, security, and satisfaction. It's tied way deep down there. And if we have a fear that God will not come through on his promises, we'll begin to manufacture those desires and, and how to accomplish those desires, to secure those desires with the things that the Lord has entrusted to us. That's the reason that we bury our treasure. It's the reason that we do those things. So why do we bury it out of fear? Here's the second question. How did this man bury it? <clears throat> if we bury it because of fear, the second question is, how do we go about doing this bearing? And I think there's two primary ways that we bury what the Lord has entrusted to us. Way number one is by playing not to lose. And this is the story of the man in this parable. He is playing not to lose. He's afraid that he's going to lose what he has, has you know, invested. He's afraid that, you know, if the Lord's entrusted this to me, my only goal is the protection of this thing. I just can't lose this thing. So I'm not going to leverage this for God's kingdom and his purposes and plans. I'm going to dig a hole and I'm going to bury this thing. I've got to play it safe around here. Now hear me. The Lord looks at him and he says to that man who buried the treasure, that is sin. And here's the reason it's sin. It is sin to take what I have entrusted to you and to not use what I have entrusted to you for my plans and purposes. That is wrong, Jesus is saying. I don't want you to do that. That is sin in the Bible. To take what I have given you and to think that protecting it is the number one agenda. That's not the number one agenda. The agenda is you using that for my kingdom purposes. That's the plan. Now, a lot of us get into the same ditches. That we get into the play it safe mindset. The God, God has entrusted these things to me, but I, I can't give that up. What, what would happen if I do that? I can't go across the street and get to know my neighbor and talk to him about Jesus. He's going to think I'm a freak. I can't talk to my, my coworker about Jesus. What are they going to say? We get into this play it safe mentality. With our money and possessions, we get into a play it safe mentality. Man, let's bury it and protect it because I don't know what tomorrow's going to hold. What about a rainy day? What if I live to 120 and I need like 50 years of retirement? How am I going to be okay? It's all play it safe. And the Lord is saying, when you play it safe, you are sinning. You're directly violating your, this command for, for you to be a steward. You're working directly across the grain of that thing. So playing it safe, it is, it's essentially taking what the Lord has entrusted to us and saying to that, I'm not going to use it for your causes. I'm going to make sure we have enough for a rainy day, that we're okay here. 
It's sin in this parable. But here's the other way that you can, you can bury uh, treasure and the talent that the Lord's given you. Not just in playing it safe, but in playing the wrong game. You're playing to win. You're just trying to win the wrong game. And I think this is probably the, the more prevalent way that we bury treasure in here. It is an equally plausible way to bury treasure by taking what the Lord has given us and not digging a hole and burying it down in the hole for protection's sake, but taking what the Lord has entrusted to us and thinking, oh, we're gonna use this stuff. We're gonna do something with it, but for it to have no connection to the kingdom of God and his purposes. For us to take what the Lord's entrusted to us and to think like this, I'm gonna use it for my agenda. I'm gonna use it for my plans and my purposes. That is an equally plausible way of, of sinning in this parable. It's an equally valid way of bearing the treasure. You can bearing it by trying to protect it. You can bearing it by playing it you know, safe. Or you can bury it by spending it all on your plans, your purposes, your agenda, all the whilst forsaking God's. That is an equally valid way to bury the treasure. And the reason they're equally valid ways is because both of these two things, playing it safe and just playing the wrong game, playing as if, all the things that God entrusted to you are supposed to terminate with you. That you're supposed to use them all on your wants, your agenda, your, per, your plans, your purposes. They're both sin in this parable because God is looking at us saying, you're a steward. I am entrusting these things with you so that you will then take those and invest those in my plans and purposes. That's why I've entrusted those to you. So let me just apply this in one very particular way. At some point, it is important that we all get a grip on what should be the cap of our lifestyle. Like, where, like when is enough enough for our lifestyle? Because here's what happens for all of us in the room. If you make $50,000 or you make $500,000, your lifestyle can swell to whatever it is that you make and you can still be broke. It doesn't matter how much you make, you can be broke, Right? And the Lord is looking at us and saying, in a very real sense as a steward, I've made you a middleman. I've given you, I'm entrusting things to you. It's my account, but I'm putting your name on the account so that you can spend out of this. And, and an important part of you realizing kind of the middleman nature of your job is that you're going to have to set a limit on your life. How much of that you take. Like I'm entrusting all of these things to you. You're going to have to make a, a, a call on what is it that is going to be the cap of our lifestyle? When is enough enough? Because here's the thing, with the things that the Lord has entrusted to us, here is a really clear feel that we get out of places like this in the Bible. The Lord looking at us and saying, all that I entrust to you is not intended to terminate on you. And if everything I entrust to you terminates on you, we've got a massive problem. What I have given you is, yes, some of it's meant to be spent on you. Some of it's meant to keep your life going, all of that. But yes, at the same time, much of it is meant to provide for my mission, for my plans and purposes. See, with, with what God has entrusted to us, he is saying this. Yes, provide for your family. By all means, provide for your family. And yes, provide for the mission of God. Provide for my plans and my purposes in this world. The both and has to be there. Listen to Randy Alcorn talk about this. He says it like this. This will be on the screen for you. He says, the owner, God, has put each of our names on his account. We have unrestricted access to the account, a privilege that is subject to abuse. As his money managers, God trusts us to set our own salaries. We draw needed funds from his wealth to pay our living expenses. One of our, now listen to this statement. One of our central 
spiritual decisions is determining what a reasonable amount to live on is. Whatever that amount is, and it will legitimately vary from person to person, we should not hoard or waste the excess. After all, it's his, not ours. And he, is, he has something to say about where to put it. The money manager has legitimate needs. And the owner is generous. Yes to both of those two things. He doesn't demand that his stewards live in poverty. Yes to that. No, he does not demand that. And he doesn't resent us for making reasonable expenditures on ourselves. But isn't there a point where as a steward, we can cross the line of reasonable expenses? I'm going to read that one more time. Isn't there a point where as stewards, we can cross the line of reasonable expenses? Won't the owner call us to account for squandering money that's not ours? Now, I think we all need to wrestle with that. Because what all of us have a tendency to do is if you got a, a 15,000 bonus tomorrow at your work, here's what would naturally happen to almost all of us in the room. We would just immediately, our lifestyle would swell to, to absorb that $15,000 raise. Immediately. Without even asking the Lord, God, what would you want to do with your money that you are now entrusting to me? And I, I think we all have like a spiritual mandate on our life to, to think through and to consider what is the reasonable line in our life. And I'm not trying to make that call for you. That's going to vary across the room. But I think we owe it to, to our owner, to, to, as, you know, as we're trying to be good stewards, to deal with where is that line in our life? Where is the point where we are over the top and beyond what is reasonable? Where is, it, where is that line in our life that when Jesus comes back and we're under the direct gaze of God, we're going to have a really hard time justifying that? Where is that line? I mean, I'm just praying by God's grace he'd help us go there and ask those sort of questions. And by the way, can we all just come to grips with this? Greed will keep you from asking that question. If that feels like a threatening question to us, Man, the Lord probably has a lot of really good work to do in our heart just to free us from the allurement of money and possessions. So question number one, why did he bury it? Fear. Question number two, how did he bury it? Playing not to lose, playing the safe route. And then the other route is just playing to win, but just winning the wrong game. He thinks that, that his, his, you know, his life ends on him, that everything the Lord's entrusted to him can terminate on him, and it can't. The Lord is saying to both of those two people, with what I've entrusted to you, spend it on me. Use it for my plans and my purposes. And then thirdly, what was the result of him bearing the, the, the talents? What was the result? Look at verse 28. So take the talent from him. This is our one talent man who buried it. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the 10 talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given. And he will have in abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. What is Jesus' answer to the question? What was the result of, of him bearing the treasure? What, what is Jesus' response to this? Verses 28 and 29 tell us this. There will be a day when God takes from us what he has entrusted to us and gives it to a person who is more faithful with it. That is God's answer in these two verses. That I will take from the one who is not faithful and I'll give it to the one who is faithful. Okay, now look at me. Look at me here. Would you not do the same thing? Jesus is just saying the exact same thing that you would say if you were him. So let's just turn the situation around. Let's say that you have $10,000 
and you entrust it to two money managers. You give 5,000 to this one and 5,000 to that one. And man, guy number one, money manager one, man, he is rocking. He's making good decisions. He is taking your stuff, getting it to the right places. He is cultivating it and growing it and developing. And when you come back in six months and say, how's it going? He looks at you and says, man, we have produced some things. We're making things happen with this. That's money manager one. Then you go over to the second guy and you ask him, how's it going? And you realize he's done nothing with it over the last six months. It's just sitting there in the same exact position. And not only that, he's had his hand in the cookie jar. He, he's grabbed for some of it. Man, he's padding his life with some of the stuff that you've entrusted him with. What would you do in that moment? Exactly what Jesus is saying. You would take from the one who is not faithful and you'd give it to the one who is faithful, wouldn't you? That's what we would all do. That's what Jesus is saying here. Why would I leave the, the, the good stuff with you if you're not faithful with it? Why would I not take it from you and give it to the one who is more faithful? But then look at verse 30. This is the ultimate answer to the question, what will be the result of bearing what the Lord entrusts to us? Verse 30. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. Gosh, that's so sobering to read that. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness in the place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Two of the servants received commendation from the Lord. Well done, good and faithful servant. But this man, in verse 26, he's described as wicked. That's his character. He's described as slothful. That's his actions. This man who buried his treasure receives condemnation from the Lord. Now, what should that tell us? I want you to hear very clearly what I'm about to say. That should show us that there is a deep connection between our stewardship with what the Lord has entrusted to us and our salvation. There is a deep connection between our stewardship and us knowing the Lord. Jesus didn't know any other thing, didn't say any other thing about this man. All he looked at was his stewardship and concluded, this man does not know me. So let me just draw this out and just hear this warning. If you right now aren't leveraging every part of your life for the kingdom of God, this parable is warning us, it just might mean that you don't know the king. Say it in a different way. If what God's entrusted to you is not leveraged for Jesus's agenda, this parable, this passage is warning us, it may mean that you don't know Jesus. Now, I want to clarify one more thing here. Let me just say this again. This passage is not teaching salvation by your stewardship. It is connecting our salvation always shows itself in stewardship. It always shows itself in hearts that are saying, Nothing I have is mine. Nothing I have is mine. I don't own a single thing. I've been loaned these by God, my master, by King Jesus. And my life is now built around being faithful to what the Lord's entrusted to me, to taking these things and leveraging those for the plans and purposes of God. That is what this passage is. It's what this passage is leaving us, thinking about that, thinking about that warning, thinking about that deep tie between stewardship and salvation. So let me just end by, by just creating the, the moment for you. Just imagine yourself, you're under the gaze of God. Like the, the, the king has returned and he is, this moment happens at the end of the parable. He's looking at you and he's saying, man, I've entrusted these great things to you. Time, talent, treasure, all of these wonderful things to you. Tell me what's happened with them. 
Let's hear it. What have you done with them? How are you leveraging those things? What are you doing with those things? Man, let, let's celebrate what you've done. And I just want to give you a moment to think about what your response is going to be to Jesus in that moment. How's that conversation going to go? I, I was talking to a guy this week, um, one of our home group leaders, who just felt such a deep conviction over this. And, and here's how that conversation went. He was just reminiscing on looking back over his life, how so much of his stuff terminates on him. I, if he got a bonus at work, he does not think like, God, what would you want to do with what, you're, what you've given me right now? He immediately thinks like this, man, I've got this thing I want to do. I've got this thing I want to buy. Let's go get that. Let's go get this. Let's do that. And we've always wanted to get this done. Let's, do, let's go do that. And he's just convicted over the sense of, man, I am not living as a steward. And I just can't help but think many of us are in the same category, me included. And we just need a moment where we, just, where, where we can imagine what the day is going to be like when we're before Jesus. And when he asks us that question, man, show me what you've done with what I've stewarded, with what I've given you. Show me what you've done with that. Man, and listen, if we, if we can't answer that question well, what a great day to begin to change toward that. To ask the Lord to help us in this, to repent of where sin is and to begin to turn to the Lord and stewardship. I mean, think about your time right now. Is it being leveraged for the things of God? Does your time end with you and what you're doing? Or is your time, or is there segments of your time that are devoted to the things of God in your life? Think about your talents, how the Lord has uniquely gifted you. Are you using those for the, for the causes of Jesus, for the plans and purposes of Jesus, for the kingdom of God in the here and now? Think about your money and possessions. Are you leveraging those? For God's sake now, are they all terminating on you? Or are you open-handed saying to the Lord, you just show me when, where, how, and I'm in on this thing. Are you stewarding those? Man, if not, what a great day to repent and to turn to the Lord. Let's pray together. You know, when I think about the Bible story as a whole, it's such a clear picture that Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of this passage in this parable. He is the perfect steward who on his way to the cross took his five talents and turned them into ten as his body was beaten and broken for us. He is the perfect steward. And because he perfectly stewarded all that the Lord entrusted to him, he has made a way into the family of God for us. So if there's never been a decisive moment in your life where you have turned from your sin and thrown your life upon Jesus and asked him to save you, this would be the day for that. This would be the day for that. So if that's you in the room, just where you are, you can be talking to God right now, holding up your life and saying to God, God, I'm turning from my sin and I'm turning to you. And I am banking on the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus to save me. Here I am. I am all yours. And if your heart's communicating that to God, and the Lord is like ready and willing to save you this morning. So if that's you, I'm going to invite you. And we sing in a moment. We have a prayer table right over here. Please go to that prayer table. Let them know that they would love to pray for you and begin that journey with you this morning. And for the rest of us, I, I, I want to just recreate the, the moment we had at the end of the sermon last week. If you'll remember, 
I ask you to picture this scene where you're in a room. In that room are two tables, or, or one table and two chairs. And you sit down in one of the chairs, and then across that table, Jesus sits down. And last week, I had you picture Jesus looking at you and saying, will you put your yes on the table? Your life on the table, will you put it there? Man, I pray you would. Then we said, let's, let's cut, now let's cut every string that's attached to that yes. And then let's leave it there for the Lord. Now this week, I want to take one more step and I want you to imagine the Lord looking at you now and saying, okay, I take a deep breath and I'm going to ask another thing from you. I am now asking that you put everything that I have entrusted to you on the table. Your time, your talents, your money and possession, everything's on the table. I'm asking you right now, just imagine Jesus looking at you across that table and saying, I'm asking you right now to admit, to see that you are an owner of nothing, that you don't own any of these things, that I have the right to all of them. They're mine. So put them on the table. Would you be willing to do that this morning? to take your time, take your capacities and your giftings, take your money and possessions, and to move them all out there. Now, I want you to now just picture the Lord saying, okay, I, I love that you did that, but now let, let's talk about what you kept behind. But like back in that chest, just imagine Jesus saying, I, I know what's in that chest that you have under lock and key. And in that chest behind you, you still have the things you're looking to. You have your retirement accounts. You have your bank accounts. You have your, your future plans that you want to do. You have all of these things still back there behind you. And part of what I'm asking from you, Jesus is saying, is you pull it all out. You, you don't just bring to me what's negotiable. You bring out everything in that chest, everything that I have given you, and it all goes out on that table, as scary as that is. Would you be willing to get it all out there, push it all in, and to say to Jesus this morning, whatever you want with my time, whatever you want with my talents, whatever you want with the money and possessions that you have entrusted to me, you get. Father, would you please take us there? Father, would you take us there? It's in your good name that we ask that. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Stonegate Church, located in Midlothian, Texas. For service times, additional audio and study resources, as well as information about our church, please visit us at stonegate-church.com.